All right, Paleo Hackers, welcome back to PaleoHacks.com's own podcast, the Paleo Hacks Podcast. Thanks for sticking with us over the past, oh man, we've been doing this for three years now. It's hard to believe we're coming up on that. Um, I always have a blast bringing these guests on and talking about everything in fitness, health, lifestyle, paleo. And in this call, we have Nagar Fanuni. And towards the end, we talk a lot about more mindset stuff, gratitude, meditation, some things that if you've never heard about before can really, really, really change and impact the way you you, uh, think about the world. But even if you've heard them a lot, it can be easy to maybe write things off as I know that or I'm already doing that. Um, At least for me, when I hear information, I kind of store it in the back of my mind if I've heard it before. But I, I, I have to get honest with myself and ask if I'm really applying what I know. And I think that that is the big takeaway I got from this call, um, is being honest and asking myself, am I applying that? Am I doing that? And I think if you apply that to your health and wellness, with all this information out there, if we really get honest and dive down deep and ask ourselves, are we applying what we know? That's better than any other information you can get on one of these calls. Okay, so we're focusing on action and applying this stuff. If you like the show, if these interviews are helpful, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes. Uh, just tell us what's up in the comments down there. Um, leave a review. It really helps the show out. If you want to get a hold of us, paleohacks.com is the best place. we got recipes, blog posts, everything to, to keep you on track and stay motivated. And last but not least, if you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at clark at clarkdanger.com. So without further ado, Nagar Fanuni is a fitness and lifestyle coach, writer, veteran, and mom. Nagar Fanuni is passionate about empowering women through her love uh, to love their bodies and own their power. She blogs about inspiration for nutrition, training, and life at nagarfanuni.com. You ready for the show? I'm ready for you to hear it. Let's go see what Nagar has to say. Paleo Hackers, welcome back. This week's call. Super excited to bring you our next guest. Before that, paleohacks.com, all the recipes, all the articles, all the free information you can get over there at paleohacks.com. With me on the other end is Nagar Fanuni, fitness and lifestyle coach, writer, veteran, and mom. She's passionate about empowering women through their bodies and owning their own power. So Nagar, thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely excited about this uh, this week's topic. And before, you know, I research all my guests before the show, kind of consume everything they've ever done. And I was on your um, YouTube channel and you had a video of you doing a Turkish getup and <laughs> it had almost a million views on it. It was like, oh, a, yeah. Was it a kettlebell getup? Yeah, what? it was a kettlebell getup. It's funny, too, because that is not my heaviest video that I have. Um, I want to say that video is like a 28 kilo, which is like 60 pounds. And I have a video on there with me doing it with like 80 something pounds. But for some reason, people really like that one. I don't (laughs) don't know why. It looks intense. I mean, I've I've never experimented with the kettlebell training. Uh, Like it seems, you know, you're into, you're all over it. You're doing Turkish get-ups and all these different workouts. And that's really, uh, that's really a cool area. So, but almost a million views. That's phenomenal. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So... How did you get in to what you're doing now? Like, what's your story? What's your gateway into health, fitness, and wellness? Yeah. Um, I would say 
my first foray into fitness was probably right after high school, um, which was almost 16 years ago. I joined the YMCA and I just kind of walked into the right room and had no idea what I was doing and just kind of tried to figure it out. and was like looking at other people, cutting um, ma- workouts out of magazines, yep. and like, right. which is funny because I write those workouts now. So <laughs> it's really interesting. But doing that and then just kind of realizing like, oh, I actually really like this. Whereas my first uh, intention for joining the gym was because I thought I needed to lose weight. I didn't look like all the other girls. I've always been like on the thicker side, more like just more naturally athletic build. And I just thought, oh gosh, I just want to be able to be as skinny as all the other girls. And slowly started to realize that I actually really enjoyed the idea of being strong. Hmm. Um, And just by doing that and working out at the Y, um, about a year later, I became a trainer. And I was training clients um, in the Valley uh, here in California for a couple of years. And then 9-11 happened and I dropped out of school and I quit my job and I joined the Air Force and I did that for four years. And then when I got out, I naturally just gravitated towards the thing that I knew how to do, which was teach people how to be strong. And uh, I've been doing that ever since and started blogging in 2009 so that I could sort of bring my love of writing and creative writing to my work and not just, you know, count reps. And, uh, that has in the last few years really turned into a pretty, um, pretty engaged online platform, uh, primarily of women all over the world who are just really interested in both being strong and loving their bodies and not stressing out about every single thing they eat and, uh, you know, just being comfortable in their own skin. Okay. And yeah, so, so your, your blog's kind of your home. That's your main thing. Yeah, my blog is my home. I would say I probably do more with my newsletter. That's kind of my baby um, because that's a smaller audience and it feels more intimate. Yeah. Um, and so I do you know, mail out several times a week and, and those are more personal and more informal. And um, that's probably where you're going to get more the most of content from me. Um, but my blog is definitely the home home base. Okay. And, and who do you work with? Like what's your, describe what you're seeing every day. Uh, my dogs, <laughs> for the most part. Making them do the Turkish get-ups. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I work from home, and so I'm either looking at my laptop or lifting or walking my dogs. And I do have a girl that works for me, and she comes by about once a week because she has a full-time job. And we sit down and do a week's worth of work in a few hours over a bottle of wine. So that's pretty much the way it is. I'm usually, yeah, I'm usually in my robe when I'm writing, to be honest with you, (laughs) uh, my robe or sweatpants with a dog on my lap. And, um, that's pretty much my day to day life. Right on, right on. (laughs) And so I'm gauging like your audience is primarily women, correct? Primarily women. Um, there are, there is a small contingent of male followers for the most part, it's because the information is relatively gender neutral and information in general is usually gender neutral. It's just the way that you frame it. It's how you package it. It's who you're speaking to. And so I speak primarily to women, but the topics are generalized across the board. They are universal. Um, A lot of male followers that I have are men that are trying to get their women you know, their girlfriend, their wife, their sisters, you know, their mom, hey, you should follow this girl. She's got great positive advice for women um, or male trainers. 
Hmm. who, you know, who recognize that in order to really get through to their female clients, sometimes you need to have a female voice. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't try to do the bro stuff that my husband does cause I'm not a bro. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, that's, I, pretty much it. that's a great point too, that a lot of the information is universal and a lot of it's yeah. just the marketing or the approach that you're taking. Yeah. And I mean, even amongst diets too, a lot of the diets say the exact same thing in books. They're telling you to get your sleep, drink your water, move a little, cut out processed foods. And if you take that, I mean, that's 90% of it. But we, we argue over that little 10% of like, oh, this diet doesn't let me have beans or this diet doesn't let me have grains yeah. or this diet. And it's all it's all really the same stuff, just a different kind of marketing. Yeah, right? slightly different packaging. And I, and I always say that people don't buy coaching, they buy coaches. You know, so even if they're buying the program or they're, you know, they're like a big fan of a certain diet that's, you know, or a certain cookbook or whoever that's the same as somebody else's, they're a huge fan of that or a customer of that because they love the person who's presenting it because yeah. they connect with that person. And, and I think that's why it's so amazing that we live in this day and age where, where we can have that platform because people are starting to feel like they're not alone because they can connect with somebody who they, you know, who's saying everything that they need to hear, yeah. you know, who's, who's engaging them in a way that really resonates with them. And so I, I, I think that's, I think technology has a lot of downfalls, but I think that there is this really amazing world that we're living in where somebody six, 7,000 miles away is, is helping you, you know, be a better person. Yeah. That's a great point too, with, uh, the internet's really opened up you for everyone to find who they resonate with the best right. and what approach they like the best. Cause I mean, yep. there's every single flavor out there. Absolutely. And it, even if they're all in the fitness world talking about the same things, you might not like my approach. You might like so-and-so's approach or yep. other way around. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, everything's kind of been said. It's just the uh, the approach. And all Absolutely. That. There's something for everyone. <laughs> so going on kind of like more, um, we're talking about like health information and the style it's in. Is there anything women specifically, though, do need to do differently um, that is more tailored towards women than it would be guys or bros? Is, is there anything like that? I wouldn't say that there is anything like actually scientifically that needs to be done differently. Um, if we're talking about like actual, you know, factual diet and factual training, there really isn't that much of a difference. The only slight difference in training would be that because of the way women's bodies are built, uh -huh. um, you want to ease in a little bit more slowly into heavier weights than men will. It doesn't mean you can't lift heavy weights. Mm. It just means you'll want to you'll want to work up just because of our connective tissue, mm. um, and the, those can be really compromised, particularly hormonally, because of our cycle, the way our hormones fluctuate. There are times right. where your connective tissue is at more of a disadvantage than others, and so those things you kind of want to monitor. Mm. Um, the The main difference between men and women is that we get you know we get our periods. And your hormones are going to change during that time. So the way you train and the way you eat during that time might be slightly different. And so that would, I would say that that would be the main difference. Go into that. What do, what do women need to be looking for uh, at different times during the month, like either yeah. in training or diet? Um, usually right before and during your, um, your period, you're not going to feel as coordinated. Um, you will feel a little bit weaker. And um, you'll be achy in places. And so you'll want to try to tailor your training during that time to be more restorative in nature. 
Um, like you want to do yoga, you know, walk instead of run, stuff like that. Of, of course, listen to your body, but hmm. you will find that the, co- the coordination is a, is a major issue and strength can often be a major issue as well, right before and during your period. Is, and, that, is that mostly hormonal? That's mo- yeah, it's absolutely mostly hormonal changes. And also you just feel like junk. So, <laughs> it's, you know, most women are like, I don't know, should I work out when I'm on my period? Because I feel like garbage. Yeah. You absolutely should because you will feel better if you do. But don't try to go balls to the wall. Just listen to your body and like kick it back and, you know, take it a little easy. Yeah. Um, when it comes to diet during that time, that's a time when women tend to have a lot of cravings. And so I always, I always encourage my female clients to have something on deck that fits their nutritional intentions. That's in line with the way that they want to nourish their body, but that also can, um, you know, help with those cravings. I I read somewhere, uh, one of those big, uh, you know, medical journals was doing a study on, uh, I think it was basic metabolic rate of women during their periods. And that during that time, either before, after, or during, it was an average of 500 calories a day higher. Yeah. And, and that it, and that's why a lot of those cravings kick in because your body's, uh, going through all those changes and creating cells and all this stuff is happening and, and you need more fuel to take in. Yeah, you absolutely do. It's really interesting because your body is telling you that you need more fuel. Right. But because we live in a world where there is so much processed food available to us and there's always so much sugar available to us, you don't need the sugar necessarily, right? But that's what you crave because that's what you're used to hmm. because that's what you continually eat. And so you just, and you're, you also create that connection, you create that connection between my period and chocolate. It's a mental connection as well. So yes, you absolutely do need more food, but you don't necessarily need more chocolate. <laughs> okay. So so women Nothing don't, wrong with chocolate. I love chocolate. Women don't need chocolate. That's what my mom told me growing up. She's like, women need chocolate. It's scientifically proven. <laughs> End of the story. Case closed. Is I, that a myth? I I I have actually met a few women in my time as a coach who actually don't like chocolate. And I find that very strange. Um, women who don't like really feel as though they need chocolate are, are the minority. I don't know what it is. I don't know what, I don't know if it's socialized or if it's hormonal or what it is. Definitely not primal, but it's something in there that we need it. Men need ice cream. That's what you know what my, that's how my husband is. My husband loves ice cream. I could take or leave ice cream. Really? Yeah, but I got to have my chocolate. Yeah, my guilty indulgence is the Trader Joe's Peppermint Jojo ice cream. I can't, I just, I can't say no. Good thing it's only seasonal. Otherwise, I'd be eating that year round. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It was, it was like ironic the other day. I was, um, uh, I was doing a podcast and the guy was like, I think it was Dr. Z. He was like, don't cheat. Do not eat sugar, gluten or dairy. You know, very like fundamentalist. Like if you do this, your brain will explode. Great guy. Great conversation. But after that, I was like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then later that night, I found myself eating the peppermint (laughs) ice cream. (laughs) It's totally failing. The interesting thing, though, is that when women in particular are extremely restrictive with their diets, they're far more likely to binge than they are if they are more moderate with their diets. And so that's why I say always have something on deck. Like you don't need to eat three pints of ice cream when you're PMSing. But if you want to eat a half a bar of dark chocolate, that's totally okay. I'll have like a handful of dark chocolate almonds every day. That's fine. I don't need to eat all of all of the chocolate 
but it's okay to have some of it because yes. if you can, if you try to stay too strict for too long, you will inevitably binge because you will feel restricted. And I've seen it happen so many times. Yeah. It's the bounce back. Yeah. And that's a good point too. I think I, I agree with you. I think there is that more, uh, moderated indulgence approach is way more sustainable because like with, with, with Dr. Z and, and I should misrep not misrepresent what he was saying. Yeah. He was talking about a specific case where this woman's hands were like breaking out in sores if she had oh. gluten or dairy, you know, and, and it was that one thing. And so he's like, you cannot cheat. You can't look, you can't do any of that, even if it's moderation. No. And uh, I think in very specific cases, that's a great thing to say. But, you know, when people are going online or they're on these calls and they're like, yeah, you can't have this. You can't have that. No, 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 no. It's a little unrelatable to the general public who maybe would do OK if they ate the almonds every day right. or the maybe peppermint Jojo's, God forbid, <laughs> once in a while. Well, the thing is with nutrition is that you can eat whatever you want. You have to make a choice based on the cost to benefit ratio, especially when it comes to indulgences. Like I won't eat ice cream because ice cream makes me feel like garbage and it's not worth it to me. But my husband, who maybe feels a little bit less garbagey after ice cream, loves it. So it's worth it to him. It's not worth it for me. And like if I have a corn allergy, so I'm not going to eat processed corn, even though I like corn tortillas, like it's just not going to happen for me. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. That's a choice that I make. And if I do eat it, I know I'm going to feel like shit. And I, I don't have remorse or regret the next day. I'm not like, God, I can't believe I ate those tacos. I just go, you know what? I made that choice. Yeah. I made the choice and I'm going to live with the, you know, the aftermath. It's nutrition. Every single day is a choice. Yeah, that's a really good point. I like the the choice mindset. It reminds me, uh, Mark Sisson was on the call about two months ago and we were talking about kind of cheating or treat meals or whatever. Yeah. And he says, of all people, you know, the guy who wrote like the primal blueprint, very primal, primal, primal. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, stop beating yourself up if you do indulge. Like that's yeah. terrible because that's twice as bad. You, you had whatever you're not supposed to have, right? Like right. <gasps> the peppermint Jojo. And then you also have the guilt of beating yourself up about it, which is also unhealthy because that's a negative stress. Right. And then that, that just perpetuates the cycle. I am like my... My business, my brand, um, my coaching is a guilt-free zone. Like there's no, like that's what we work towards with guilt in general, not mm. just over food, but just like in general, like guilt, shame in particular, um, which is a little bit different than guilt, but guilt over food is just not worth it. You feel guilty because you did something bad, um, you know, because you stole something or you hurt somebody's feelings. That's okay because that's like, all right, I feel a little guilty. That's a natural response to apologize, to rectify your behavior. Um, feeling guilty over food is a worthless endeavor because all it does is make you feel like you suck. You can never do anything right. You can never be strict enough with your diet to lose weight or perform better or whatever it is you want to do. And then it usually winds up as you feeling like crap for a while and then doing the same thing again the following weekend. Yeah. So... Or it's like you're hiding it. something. It's like your dirty yeah. secret. And, and I don't think that food should be viewed as good or bad or guilty or, you know, evil. You know, it's indulgences are things that we choose and we choose them mindfully. I'm a big fan of mindful eating. And if my body is telling me I need to have some chocolate, I'm going to do it. But I'm going to pay attention while I'm eating it so that I stop when I don't feel like I need it anymore. 
I think guilt and shame is kind of a momentum killer because like that's the whole thing that that you know all this personal development is based on is momentum like doing small wins and getting momentum moving to the next thing and feeling good and moving forward but when you have guilt in there it's like oh the whole momentum stopped and now I have to be really meditative on on what I did and it's just really bad I'm a failure and it's just it's a buzzkill it is absolutely that nobody wants you don't nobody needs that kind of energy in their life but it's it's difficult because so many people shame is ingrained in them via their childhood or a traumatic experience or whatever it may be you know some people so many people have such a difficult time coming out and saying that they're you know that they're ashamed of, of their behavior or that they are behaving the way they are because of shame. Um, Thankfully, you know, Brene Brown is doing a lot of work in that area where she's really bringing the conversation to the table, which is incredibly helpful because more people are identifying shame and claiming shame. Um, And that really helps to put you on a path towards self-development and actually evolving and transforming as a person. What have you found either beneficial with people or yourself in kind of loosening up or not having that guilt and shame around either food or just life in general? Yeah. The main thing I encourage is to approach all of this stuff with a sense of curiosity and playfulness. Because when you come to the table curious, you're not being judgmental. Um, When you come to the table playfully, you're not beating yourself up for every failure. There's just this sense of lightness, this sense of like coming into it like, yes, I'm, you know, this demands my focus, but it also demands my playfulness. Mm. And that's a theme that I have to, especially with my coaching clients, like bring in all the time when stuff starts to get too serious, when stuff starts to get too like, ah, I can't figure this out. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm like, hey, it's cool. Everybody's been where you are. Everybody has been where you are. Everybody feels like that at some time or another. What I'm going to ask you to do is try to take a deep breath, take 25 deep breaths, and remind yourself that this is all about just playfulness and curiosity because at the end of the day, nothing is that serious. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is that serious. So kind of cultivating the ability to laugh at yourself. Yes. Okay. Yes. And a big part of doing that in my work is I, is I do that through fitness. Because I find that people have two default modes when it comes to fitness. They also, they either go into the gym and they have no idea what they're doing and they don't take anything seriously and they're just messing around and they're not, you know, making any, uh, they're not making any gains. Um, Or they just hate it and they're just there to like check it off their list, right? Yeah. Or they go in and you see this especially in the CrossFit community. They go in and there is a balls to the wall mentality. And if I can't, you know, RX a workout, then I might as well not do it. You know, if I can't do everything perfectly, then I might as well do it all. And there's this like seriousness. Like I have seen people in the gym miss a lift and then just be shitty the rest of the day, you know, like because I've worked at gyms my whole life, you know, my whole adult life. So I've seen that happen. I've seen people just get really frustrated or, you know, they get pissed off at people because they're like talking during a max lift or like there's just like like, level of seriousness around it. And like I a think golf that, game. The exactly. guy talks and Happy Gilmore goes off. Exactly, exactly. And, <laughs> and I think that there is a really great sort of bridge in between those two where exercise does demand your focus. It does demand your attention, but it also demands your playfulness. Because at the end of the day, working out is adult play. So it's really important that we bring that playfulness to our lips, that it's a lift is just a lift. 
And when you start to encourage that with people in something as tangible as exercise, that starts to permeate throughout the rest of their life. And I find that exercise is the easiest place to do that with, uh, as opposed to nutrition or like lifestyle related stuff because it is very tangible and because we don't have as many emotional attachments. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So, so being more playful with how you approach fitness, exercise, yep. movement, mm-hmm. being okay to maybe laugh at yourself. If you go in, you're not as strong as last yep. week, but at least you went in the gym, uh, kind of all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, like if you miss a lift or you're not, you're not as strong, you know, as you were two days ago and just being like, Hey, this is just the way it is. I'm going to make the best of this and I'm going to have a good time. Like, yeah. and, and that, level of playfulness is incredibly important because exercise is something that has such a large impact on our lives. Where did I hear it? It was, it's a saying that, um, psychologists use or no therapists. What are they called? Uh, what's the term for that? Okay. Just therapists, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I I have a therapist. Yeah. Like psychologists, (laughs) therapists, they said there's two kinds of people, Mm. ones who need tightening and those who need loosening. Yes, and those are the absolutely. people they see in, in therapy and that 90% of the time people are in therapy because they need loosening. You know, right. it's like you're too stressed. You're, you can't laugh at yourself. You can't do anything. It's not really the tightening people unless you're like uh, the crazy celebrity going off the rails, right. Justin Bieber style and making a mess of your life like that needs tightening. But a lot of times we're in therapy because we need like loosening and, and expression and we're, yep. we're reserved and, you know, it, it's... Yeah. The two kinds I, of people. I absolutely encourage two things to all of my clients and readers. Meditation, first and foremost, in some way, shape, or form. And that is different for everyone. Um, that is a personal preference. There are so many ways you can meditate and so many kinds of meditation. But I do encourage that people try to make meditation even a very, very small part of their day. Because when you meditate, you start to get in touch with your breath and you start to get in touch with being rooted in the present moment. And when you're rooted in the present, all of your energy is now. Your energy isn't in the past. It isn't in the future. It's now. And that's when you can really start to bring some loosening and some playfulness to the table because you understand that like, while to some extent the future and the past does matter, it doesn't, it doesn't matter as much as we think it does. And so meditation is incredibly important for that aspect. I also encourage that people try to engage in activities that seem interesting to them, but that they just never would have done before. And it's so amazing to me how many adults just get stuck in this rut of get up, take the kids to school, or you go to school, go to work, you know, come home, make dinner, watch TV, go to bed. Yeah. And everybody's in that rut. And if they do anything outside of that rut, it's go out to dinner or go out for drinks. But you would be amazed. And you live in Seattle, so it's probably a little bit different. And, you know, I live in Venice Beach. Everybody rides bikes and it's a very like outdoorsy type place. But you would be amazed how many adults don't haven't ridden a bicycle in 10, 15 years. Hmm. You know, it's like uh, like I mean, I actually I bought a bike when I moved here to Venice Beach and because um, my main source of transportation and I hadn't ridden a bike in years and years. And it was just like this very freeing, very liberating, fun, playful experience to just get on a bike and have to, you know, figure it all out again. Um, but, you know, everybody has that thing that they've wanted to do. They've wanted to take a cooking class or they've wanted to learn how to ride a motorcycle or if they wanted to take a trapeze class or do martial arts or take a dance class or, yeah. you know, an art class. And 
there are so many things that we don't do because we just, you know, we don't even count that as part of our, our day-to-day activity. And when you can engage in an activity like that, learning an instrument or, you know, learning, um, learning a sport or whatever it might be, it's not only fun, but it taxes your brain in a way that you're not necessarily used to. And um, I was talking with my friend um, Dallas Hartwig recently, um, author of The Whole 30 and It Starts oh, With yeah. Food. Yeah. And he was mentioning to me some research that he had um, that he had heard about where, you know, using the brain in activities that you don't know how to do is actually one of the best ways to keep your brain sharp and offset things like dementia mm. and Alzheimer's and using your brain in a way that, you know, we're, we tend to just do the things we're good at and the things we're comfortable with and things we know how to do. When like, we branch uh, out. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Keep going. So when we branch out and we do activities that we don't know how to do, our brain has to work at a higher capacity. So it's good for your brain. It's good for your body. And it's good for just a sense of like playfulness and lightness. Yeah. They, like, that's why old people like doing the Sudokus and the crosswords. Yeah. And it's yeah. really good. And they have them all over nursing homes. Like my grandpa, yeah. he just uh, like a year or two, he passed away. But before that, he was nonstop Sudoku books. Yeah, and, uh, makes your brain work, and that, and learning any kind of activity is going to do that. And so it's important for so many reasons. I really highly encourage people do that. Go jump on a trampoline. Go, yeah. you know, learn how to surf or learn how to paddleboard or learn how to ski. Like even if you're terrible at it, just go do it and enjoy that sense of playfulness and get your brain and your body working in a different way. What you were saying about learning a new skill and having that conversation with the Hartwigs, um, that's really, it was just in a book I was reading uh, this morning. It was the difference between a bus driver's brain when they put them under an fMRI and a taxi Mm -hmm. driver's brain when they're under an fMRI. And that the bus driver has certain uh, pathways in their brain, like when they're doing their route, it's just automatic because they do it every day. It's the same thing over and over again. But the taxi drivers, the parts of the brain that remember routes and figures and it's kind of more responsive is uh, more lit up because they have to take new routes every day or like the yeah. Uber guy going across town all the time. He's not doing the same thing every day. That's so interesting. Yeah, that is, it was. I mean, and, and, but the thing is, is that most of us, especially as adults, are no, we, we get into this rut of routine. And I think that routines are really important. I I think that ritual is really important. Um, I get up every day, I meditate, I journal, drink coffee, and I read a little bit, and then I get on with my day. I think having some sense of regularity in your day that is a ritual that centers you is very important. But I think it's equally as important to do things differently. Like in Buddhist um, teachings, they always say when things go wrong and you don't know what to do, do something differently, anything anything at all. If you don't normally go for a walk, get up and go for a walk. Um, you know, if you don't normally call a friend, call a friend. If you're driving home from work, take a different route. Mm-hmm. Like it's simple as that. Just do something, anything differently just to get your brain working in different ways and to break the rut, the routine of whatever's going on. Yeah. I, with the routine thing, you know, and getting your consistent habits on the day to day, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's funny. There's always two sides of the extremes. It's like, yeah. you know, the loose screw, or the tight screw, the bus driver, or the taxi driver. And obviously you want both. And so I agree, like having some routines and habits is is very important. Um, so meditation you were talking about mm-hmm. before we uh, talked about learning something new. Yep. That's a routine you recommend to people daily? I definitely, definitely recommend it because you can meditate in as little as three minutes. It's not something that's necessarily going to take a whole lot of time out of your day, but the um, the impact is so great compared to the amount of time that you need to spend on it. 
there is a bit of a learning curve and there is, you know, that sort of time where you have to kind of figure out, okay, well, what kind of meditation you got to try a bunch of different kinds, just like it, when you're joining a gym, you know, you don't just walk into the gym and say, this is my gym. You might kind of try it out and be like, I don't really like this gym. I'll look for a different one. Um, so I do recommend that people do that and not give up because if you try the kind of meditation that really doesn't work for you and you feel like you're failing at it and you just suck at it and then you're just like, well, meditation's not for me, you're really missing out on something that's going to have a massive impact on your life. Even if all you do is take five deep focused breaths, that's better than not doing anything at all. Okay. And yeah. so it's kind of, it's, well, it's kind of like the guilt and shame you get from dieting or not working out or missing the lift like we were talking yeah. about. You know, if you miss a meditation, God, I'm so stupid. Oh, yeah. I'm guilty. I said I was yeah. going to be 30 days and I only made 29. Just get, get back on track. Just get back on track. It's fine. I think that we just are, as a society, are just so accustomed to giving ourselves shit about stuff all the time, um, especially with the rise of social media because we see so many people who are seemingly doing it all and seemingly have perfect lives. And so there's this pressure, particularly on women, to be perfect and to have everything together, to have the perfect job and the perfect house and the perfect body and the perfect family and the you know everything in its perfect little place. And that's because that's what we're seeing on a regular basis from, you know, from Instagram models and, you know, social media mavens and people that are posting their highlight reel. They're not posting, you know, when they're, when they're like in the thick of it. And that pressure, I think is sort of, um, bringing, bringing this, this theme of us feeling like we suck at everything sort of to arise. And so it is really difficult when you're like, well, so-and-so does it all, but nobody does it all. And so a big part of what I do with my work is sharing my more intimate details. And, you know, when I've struggled to let them know, like, yes, like I am a coach and I'm a professional in this field, but like, I'm not perfect. And here's how I messed up. Um, And I think that's important. I think people need to see that. I think that's why people love Bill Clinton. Honestly, I think that's a huge part of why people love, I love Bill Clinton personally. Like, first of all, he's very likable. But second of all, he made a mistake and that made him human. It made him relatable. And, you know, people who aren't necessarily very highly moralistic, um, you know, there's a definite good and there's a definite bad. Most people are not like that. And most people are seeing, well, you know, he's human. People make mistakes and that makes you more relatable. So I, I think that, it would be great if there were more relatable um, people on social media. And I think that's happening. I think that shift is happening. But I do think that that is a big contributing factor to why there is this like heavy, I suck at everything, I fail at everything sort of mentality in society today. Or like the comparison ideal, you know, you compare yourself with everything. And so talk about uh, comparing yourself to a highlight reel on social media, you know, you compare yourself to their status, their money, you compare yourself to their lifestyle, their friends, what yep. they're doing. And you compare yourself to their bodies. Cause there's a lot of that in the fitness health. Industry. Absolutely. Just people taking photos of their mirror pics or their selfies or killer gym workouts. And you're like, God, why don't I have those abs, those washboard yep. abs or like, uh, those legs or, or something, you're just always comparing yourself. Yeah. And so I do encourage women in general to 
understand that there is something about you and whatever that is, if you have to like really do the work to figure it out, there is something about you that somebody else is looking at and saying, I wish I had that. And when you can start to put that into perspective, you can realize like nobody, even the person who you think, I mean, I guarantee you Taylor Swift probably wishes she wasn't so tall. Like she's got 50 million Instagram followers. She's like the richest musician in America right now. Like that girl is the most, she, I mean, she's the most famous like young musician. Or or how about going to a coffee shop without 50,000 people around her? Yeah, absolutely. You know, everybody has something that they look at somebody else and they are like, I wish I had that. When you can put that into perspective, it makes it a little bit more human and we feel a little bit more connected then we do, you know, you can give somebody a compliment and say, you have amazing legs without thinking you have amazing legs and I don't. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's a big, that's, you know, that meaning that we put on something like being able to just give compliments. It's actually one of the practices that I do with my clients is just, you know, a day of like, um, giving other people compliments, genuine, genuine compliments. Cause I think so often we see something about somebody that we like a coworker, somebody at a coffee shop and we don't say anything. And so I encourage they have like a whole day where it's like a a social experiment where they have to give compliments to like everybody that crosses their path. And that's great. They have a great time with it. But the next day they have to take every compliment that they're given. And that's even harder Hmm. because we're so used to um, qualifying and deflecting compliments where women in particular are so used to when you say like, oh my gosh, you, I, I heard you got a promotion. That's so amazing. You're like, yeah, but it's only because there wasn't really anybody else in the running, you know, or like, oh my gosh, your hair looks gorgeous. Oh gosh, really? It's so dry. Like there's never, there, I shouldn't say never, but there is this epidemic of women who are not taking compliments. And so the task is when somebody pays you a compliment, you smile and say, thank you. And that's it. Not thank you, but not thank you. And it's just thank you, period. Yeah. You would not believe how uncomfortable it is for so many people. It, it almost seems like you're being uh, like f- full of yourself mm-hmm. or, or proud. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I know, I know. You don't have to tell me I'm beautiful. I know. <laughs> but there is there is a very, very, very distinct line between I know I'm pretty to thank you so much. That's such a sweet thing for you to say to me. I really needed that today. Like when you say, oh gosh, no, I'm hideous. All it does is make everybody else uncomfortable. It doesn't actually do anyone any good. So it is a very interesting social experiment, but it's something that when you do it over time, it just makes you feel so much more in your power and so much more willing to dole out that positive energy than if you were constantly negating nice things that people say to you. And I think when people give you something nice, I mean, it's just like anything they give you. It's Christmas coming up. And how is yeah. it going to be if you, if someone gives you like, uh, I give my mom a glassy baby and she looks at it and she's like, oh, this is beautiful, but no, thank you. Yeah. Like, I, I put thought into that. I paid for exactly. that. I want you to take it. I, I'm giving it to you. That's a great comparison, actually. It's a really great the glassy um, baby. Uh, definitely the glassy baby. (laughs) That's what made it for you. (laughs) But I mean, you wouldn't do that. If somebody gave you a gift, it wouldn't be socially acceptable or wouldn't be very kind for you to say, I hate this gift. It's stupid. Take it back. But we do that when people give us verbal gifts, which is really what that is. When somebody compliments you, it's because they really, it makes people feel good to say nice things to other people. And because they really think that thing and they think it might make you feel good to know that they believe that it's reciprocal in nature 
when you give, when I give my husband a gift, I'm like waiting for his expression. I can't wait to see him open it so much so that like, if I buy him a birthday gift two months early, I just can't even wait. I just give it to him that day. I'm like, I got you this thing. I don't know. I can't, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I want to see how much you love it. It's the same concept when people are giving compliments. And so I think that's a really interesting practice for people to remember. Like when somebody says, you look really great today, just, wow, thank you. Because that person gave you that positive energy and that compliment because it is reciprocal. So earlier we were talking about being playful and kind of uh, being able to laugh at yourself, not using shame and guilt and kind of maybe incorporating uh, meditation with that. And now we're, we're talking about accepting compliments and uh, being thankful and not comparing yourself to Instagram or anything. And would it be gratitude that this ties into? Absolutely. Gratitude is definitely like the great liberator. It is absolutely a game changer. Um, When I first started practicing gratitude, like as an actual ritual, uh, I was sort of a naysayer as well. And I know a lot of people are kind of like, oh, gratitude is so like, uh, it's just so earnest. It's woo-woo. You know? so, yeah, it's so woo-woo and it's so earnest and it's so cheesy. Like there's this sort of um, mentality around it. However, um, I read a book by Sean Acor um, called The Happiness Advantage. And if you haven't read it, highly recommend. Sean is an amazing human. Um, he is a positive psychologist. He's hilarious. He's a great storyteller. And um, he's got The Happiness Advantage and then Before Happiness, which he came out with um, retroactively. But the books are about positive psychology and the actual science, the research behind it, which is really what was the clincher for me because it's not woo-woo. It's actually scientific in nature. They did a study on people who did gratitude journaling versus people who didn't. The key is, and the people who did the gratitude journaling over, I think it was like a 90-day period, had exceptionally like higher um, you know, serotonin and um, just expressed in interviews, just a more happier perspective, a more positive perspective, a more, uh, you know, just advantageous viewpoint of their environment and their surroundings than the people who didn't. And the key was that you write down three things that you're grateful for every day, but they have to be three new things every single day. So people don't think about this when they're doing gratitude journaling or gratitude practice. They just say, I'm, I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful yeah. for my husband. I'm grateful for my dog. And it, it just gets sort check, of boring. Check, check. Yeah, exactly. You know, the thing, the reason why new things every day is because our brains are hardwired to pick up negative aspects of our environment. It's a survival mechanism. That's how our brains are hardwired. And we haven't evolved from that in a way that adapts to all of the stimuli that we have in our world. You know, years ago, we didn't have all this stimuli. All we needed to know was, is somebody going to attack me? Am I in danger? And so we always, you know, we're hardwired for the negative. When you practice picking out positive pieces of your environment, three new things every single day, you start to train your brain to more naturally pick out the positive aspects of your environment. And that in and of itself is such a powerful practice that it is something I require of all of my clients. Um, And it can be as simple as we actually did a comparison recently with one of my coaching groups. Um, I couldn't stop singing the uh, song from Sound of Music, favorite, the few of my favorite things. Mm -mm, I don't know why. I I had it in my head. It's, uh, It's, but you gotta watch the Sound of Music. 
but <laughs> I had it in my head. I couldn't stop singing it. These are a few of my favorite things. And she names off like, um, you know, brown paper packages tied up in strings and warm woolen mittens and copper tea kettles and all this other stuff that are like her favorite things. And my son was like, mom, what is that song that you keep singing? It just sounds like a whole bunch of random things. And I was like, well, it is because those are her favorite things. And then when you kind of start to think of gratitude journaling more as like your favorite things, it becomes a little bit more accessible. It doesn't have this, it has, it becomes more playful. People think if they're going to gratitude journal, it has to be something really big. They have to be really grateful for this big thing, but it doesn't need to be that way. It can be as simple as, you know, I'm grateful for, um, you know, I, the, the leaves falling, um, in November, it's beautiful or, you know, who got the door for me. Exactly. Exactly. My, you know, a few of my favorite things are, you know, cupcakes and not really, I don't really like cupcakes, but like, let's just say, for example, um, donuts, I'll say donuts, you know, donuts or, um, or, you know, warm socks out of the dryer or, you know, walk with your dog. Exactly. Um, and when you start to do that, you start to just gradually train your brain to realize like there is so much in my general area that is so great that is so perfect and so wonderful that you just start to shift your perspective. Yeah, that's powerful. It's going from comparing and wanting what others have or being jealous of what others have to being totally thankful and kind of content with what you have. And that's the complete polar opposite. And, and, uh, you know, uh, to tie it back into health, if you want to be healthy, do what healthy people do. And if you want to be sick, do what unhealthy overweight, you know, unhealthy people do. And so you're probably going to eat vegetables, move, sleep, go to bed on time if you want to be healthy. And if you want to be happy, do what happy people do. And a lot of them seems like they have good relationships. A lot of them meditate. That's a thing. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of them do gratitude journals and they focus on what they have and they're not in other people's lives wishing they had that. Yes, because happy people have boundaries and they have good relationships because they have boundaries. And it's something that people think, well, boundaries are this negative thing. It's cold. It's harsh. But when you basically having boundaries is saying like, this is what I will stand for. And this is what I won't. This is how I choose to live my life. This is how I'm aligning my life. These are my intentions. And everybody in my life needs to, you know, needs to kind of uh, be on board with that. Or you become a smaller part of my life or not at all. Um, and I think that, that, that comes into play in so many different factors, not just with your relationships, but with what you choose to eat and how you choose to train and, um, you know, just all of that, just deciding like, this is how I want to align my life and affirming that and just making sure that everything in your environment is in support of that. Yeah. So to kind of conclude what we were talking about with meditation and gratitude, Mm -hmm. give the person listening right now, the guy sitting in his car in traffic or the woman working out at the gym right now. Uh, what can they do to incorporate meditation and gratitude mm-hmm. into their life? Well, meditation, there are t- tons of apps out there that are incredibly helpful that can help a beginner learn how to meditate. Um, when you're first starting out, it's really difficult to just sit there and say, okay, I'm going to take you know a bunch of deep breaths for 15 minutes and I'm not going to think about anything. Like That's just not, right. it's just not how it works. Uh, meditation takes a lot of practice. And so there's a, there's a couple apps I really like. One of the apps that is one of the more popular is called Headspace. And that's a guided meditation app. And it's great because you can sort of pick like, you know, how long you want the meditation to be. Um, 
And I think those are really great because it kind of gives you more of a framework and it's less intangible and nebulous and it's more like, okay, I got to do this app. Is that the the British dude with the 10 by 10? He does like the 10 minutes a day for 10 days or something on Headspace? There, I think there are different, uh, there are different voices now, which is, which is great because I have actually like bought certain apps and then just been like, oh, because I just can't, you know, I just can't listen to that person's voice. It's just not for me. Sounds like you're listening to the National Geographic documentary. (laughs) Exactly. Like I just want Neil Gaiman to be my meditative, my meditation guide. (laughs) What what does he do? Neil Gaiman is a famous uh, novelist. Oh. He he wrote the Sandman comics. He wrote uh, American Gods. He wrote Coraline. He's got a good uh, voice. Graveyard book. Yeah, he's like British with like a very soothing like British voice. It's pretty amazing. Something to meditate too. Yeah, it's yeah. really great. He's got a great voice. I could listen to him talk all day. Um, but yeah, Headspace is great if you can go to a class. If you're living in a place where they have that, I'm sure they do in Seattle, places like Portland and LA, we've got a meditation studio that has like a 30 minute guided meditation. You can go in and now you're not just like trying to figure it out on your own. You know, if I want to learn how to play guitar, I'm going to get a guitar teacher. If I want to learn how to um, skateboard, I'm going to ask, you know, a person who's really good at skateboarding to show me how to do that because I want my learning curve to be as easy as possible so that it's an activity that I can actually embrace and not have it be so challenging without the guidance that I can't necessarily do it. So I highly recommend for beginners, don't just try to sit there and quiet your mind. It's not that easy. So, you know, absolutely ask for help, look for guidance either in person or, you know, in an app. Um, There are tons of different programs out there you can buy. I think there's like a three minute meditation. My husband knows a guy who, um, I can't think of the name of it, but who has a three, three minute meditation program and it's, you know, all, there's so many different ways you can do it. So definitely that, um, as far as a gratitude practice, first thing in the morning, what most people do is they reach over to their nightstands and they pick up their smartphone and they scroll through Facebook or they check email, or they check their text messages. And right away, you're getting all those messages via technology. Um, You're getting all the anxiety that comes with all the things you have to do for the day. And so I encourage you for the first 20 minutes of your day, if you need to look at your phone to see what time it is, let that be the end of it. And spend the first 20 minutes of your day gratitude journaling, reading something inspirational, and possibly meditating. The order that seems to work best is read, journal, meditate. And that's what works best for most people. But for everybody, it's going to be different. Because when you read something inspirational, um, you know, something that's uplifting, something that's motivating, um, you're more likely to be in that positive state where you can then journal your thoughts and write down things you're grateful for. And then when you're in that positive space, meditation is just so much easier to, to slip into. Um, all it takes is 20 minutes. All it takes is 20 minutes a day to completely, absolutely change your life. Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. really, uh, powerful. I've, I've been, trying to incorporate more meditation on a daily. And I even found 20 minutes. I couldn't sustain it. And I would go back into that guilt trip on myself. Um, And so I just do five minutes. And if I, if I can do five minutes while the coffee's brewing, it's a win. And six out of seven days, I'm doing five minutes. Yeah. Who knows? I'll I'll bump it up to six, seven, eight, 10, 20, maybe, maybe, 
Maybe. Um, Pema Chodron, who is a um, very uh, well-loved and well-known Buddhist nun, American Buddhist nun, she's written a ton of books, and I highly recommend those if you're looking for something like really light and positive to read. Um, She's got tons of different books, different topics. It's all about, um, you know, her views and and Buddhist teachings. And she says, I'm going to butcher the quote, but she says, if you can sit with something, if you can sit with it, if you can sit with the silence, if you can sit with the stickiness, you can sit with the pain, whatever it is, for one second, and yesterday, you couldn't sit with it for even one second, that's progress. If you can, if you can meditate for one minute, and yesterday, you can only meditate for 30 seconds, that's a 50% jump. Yeah. in productivity. <laughs> yeah. It's huge, you know, and I just think we think that things need to be a certain way. We think we need to be at the gym for an hour. We think we need to meditate for 20 minutes. You know, we think we need to be perfect with our diet or we have to, you know, we, we have to work nine to five. Like these are all just ideas yeah. that we've created. They, they're not necessarily real. Yeah. Love it. Great conversation, Neg. Awesome. Um, before we go, what do you got going on on, on your site? Give us a little uh, preview of either what's coming up or, or what's been over there. What's uh, happening? Yeah, there is a big overhaul of a redesign and some new stuff coming to the site in the next month or two. Um, and with that, there's going to be just some new fun, free stuff, um, for, you know, basically all the stuff that we talked about today, like all those sort of aspects of like just how to make the smallest changes to make your life better in the biggest possible way. Um, I am co-hosting my yearly retreat, uh, yearly women's only retreat, uh, in Australia this year. So got any Australian listeners? We've got a few spots left. That's a (laughs) it is going to be Valentine's Day weekend. So that should be super fun. This is our fourth year doing the event. First time in Australia. So I'll be spending a month in Australia. Should be fun. Wow. It's a month long. Yeah. Well, the retreat is a couple days, but if you're going to go to Australia, you can't just come back after a couple days. You got to make the best of it. You're halfway around the world. Um, I'm also opening up my coaching program for my winter session in the end of January. So we're finishing up fall session this week, actually. And I'll take 40 women on a journey of playfulness and exploration and a little bit of profanity um, for (laughs) for 12 weeks. For getting their shit together. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Get your shit together. Um, That starts in January. So those are kind of the big things going on right now. Okay. And and, uh, is your website the best place for people to find you? Yes, absolutely. So you can get to me via all platforms from my website. Awesome, Neg. Thanks for coming on the show. That was a fun one. Some topics we haven't really hit on a lot of on this, but definitely ties into loving yourself and having a good life, which is what we all want when we're listening to podcasts. So thanks for coming on and sharing your perspective. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Boom. There we go. That's this week's call with Negar. Did you like it? Did you learn something? Make sure you let us know. We have uh, Paler Hacks on Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, and of course, PaleHacks.com. we got the community. If you want to stay motivated, talk about these ideas, talk about the show, we have the form over there, which is the best place to be. Again, that's PaleoHacks.com. Feel free to let me know what you thought of the show or any topics or guests you want, any feedback. I'm always open to it. You can reach me at ClarkDanger.com or email me at Clark at ClarkDanger.com. I love interacting with you, especially on Twitter. You guys are always tweeting me. 
Um, and that's that's a really fun interaction because it's like 140 characters. Boom, boom, boom. And uh, always respond on there. That's it for this week's show. Happy holidays, guys. We'll talk to you next week.